0: of the Month.
1: Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. I am so excited to be sitting here with Al Jaffe. Uh, He allowed me to do a second interview because there were so many questions to ask him and I'm in his beautiful office, which is exactly how you would imagine. There are pictures from so many decades that he's illustrated as well as numerous awards and then some fun things like a a space rocket, hooray for USA, with the s backwards. I don't know if that was by a little kid. Um, it's just delightful. And then tons and tons of, this is a art lover's dream. There's everything from dyes and tray watercolors and acrylic cold paintings and tape to Indian ink and whiteout, as well as pictures of his grandchildren. But it's just a, a, a dream come true to be here with him. So without further ado, let's get started interviewing the one and only Sir Al Jaffe.
0: I guess I was born to be a a satirist or, you know, uh, to make fun of things because we are from our earliest uh, childhood, we're told things that don't make sense, that don't stand up to either scientific examination or even to just simple logical examination. And uh, I think I, I got wise to a lot of the religious stuff uh, very early on. Not that I was against it, but it wasn't for me. I mean, you know, I, I respected the other people. And I went, I went to shul and did all the things and uh, uh, had a, uh, went to cheder, had a tutor, had a tutor and kind of enjoyed the stories of the Bible because they're just as interesting when you're a little kid in Lithuania as Superman is to a little kid in, my, in America.
1: I was going to say that. I wondered if it appealed to your fantasy. You oh,
0: know. sure. The Golem, for example. I mean, all right, it's, it's uh, you know, you have to... Take it with a grain of salt that uh, the golem could be built out of clay and then it comes to life, you know. But I did satirical things. I mean, I was seven or eight years old when I I drew a picture of uh, Moses with the Ten Commandments standing, you know, the way a, a kid would picture the top of a mountain. It's like a point, yeah. and he's standing on the point, <laughs> and I I colored it and. And then I did something additional. I took a candle and rubbed it all over it, and it glistened. It it was like magic. And my youngest brother, David, said, it looks so slippery, won't Moses slide off? (laughs) I never forgot that. He must have been all of about five cuz he took he said, it so
1: literally he took it
0: literally <laughs> that moses is on the top of the mountain and it's big, it's very because we all the kids felt that you know it was very smooth with all the candle wax on it
1: i think it's also i think it's easier to make fun of something that's clearly wrong like george bush or you know but there's some type of deeper satisfaction i think when you can gently mock Something that you do care about, but also is full of hypocrisy. You know, it's something that you respect and also are think is absurd.
0: Well, every everyone has uh, a different belief system. I can't accept anything that denies questioning. I think from the earliest time of my life, I would say, "Well, why is that? And how did that happen? How did certain? How did a man live in a whale?" Yeah. yeah. How
1: did he survive in a whale? Well, it's, it's good insulation.
0: He he fed on ambergris. <laughs> he smelled <laughs> good.
1: It's true. He felt like a very interesting. you make smell. perfume
0: out of ambergris.
1: See, now I would not have known that. But that's what I what I was trying to say, which I didn't say well. But I guess what I was asking, since I made it as a statement, I apologize. But when you're mocking things do you tend to mock things you care about
0: i take issue with the word mock. okay we parody we uh all of us doing you know parodies and satire it's not to criticize but to it i don't want to even use the word expose because we're not exposing some great big secret what we're doing is we are showing it to you and uh we're asking the question you know how can this be right and it's you know it's if cigarettes are so good for you the way they used to advertise them uh why aren't they distributed in hospitals and you know as medication you know i've i've lived long enough to have, to remember advertisements for cigarettes as soothing to your throat, because wow. it contains latakia, which is a made-up word, meaning totally meaningless, but implies there's some kind of medication that will soothe your throat. Uh, and cool cigarettes were mentholated. Yes. So all that was doing was covering up the harm that the smoke was doing.
1: Well, in that sense, you are bringing attention to a serious issue, though.
0: Yes, but the way people who expose something bring attention to it, like a reporter for the New York Times would say, a recent study showed that cool cigarettes which contain menthol are not soothing, they are harmful. The way we do it is we then take it a step further and give cool Cigarettes to people who have hot breath, you know, or some other ridiculous... Uh, I mean, we take it to the ridiculous extreme. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it makes fun of the product, and then it's up to the product to say, we can prove that you are wrong to the parodist and say, here is scientific evidence that it actually does soothe, but they can't do it. You know, we've we, we've trapped them.
1: What are you working on right now, besides trying to stay awake during this interview with me?
0: Oh uh, well.
1: <laughs> due to due to my being boring, not not not
0: due to <laughs> anything else. I <clears throat> I'm I'm working on a fold in, uh, which is. I've slowed down a, a good deal. I, it takes me longer to do things now, so I don't do the, uh, the quantity of material that I used to do. And, um, and I got tired. Artistically?
1: But,
0: hmm? Physically, yeah. Physically
1: and artistically?
0: No, artistically, I, I have a file with maybe 50 ideas that I would love to get to. I mean, really solid ideas. Articles for ad, maybe a dozen that they would buy in an instant, I'm sure. And ideas for a graphic novel. But when I think of doing a graphic novel, 150 pages of writing and drawing, I, I fall instantly asleep. Yeah. You know, I get so tired of thinking about it. But every time I come across my, uh, my idea file, I say, Ugh, I'd have to live 150 more years to get all this stuff done. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's just too much.
1: I, I wanted to um ask that with the fold in, I know you say that you don't really know what it's going to look like until it comes out, but I just can't believe did you ever try when you were first making the fold in to see if it would work?
0: Oh, I know it's gonna work.
1: How do you know if you no. don't test it?
0: The the only thing that I have said is that I don't see it folded until it's printed because, I mean, I'll show it to you what I have. It's, it's on a hard sheet of cardboard. I can't fold it. What I have been able to do in recent times to check to see if it works is to go to... Uh, one of the copying places and I have a, a full-size copy made. And then I slice it and bring the two parts together and then I, I can see where I need to make corrections and stuff. I don't blindly go ahead and just do a fold in and hope it turns out. I do it very carefully on tracing paper. I do the, the answer first on tracing paper and then I slice it down the middle and spread the two pieces apart, and then I fill in the center part. So I know it will fold into what it's supposed to fold into because it was once one picture. And now it's been separated and filled in.
1: And you can you can figure out the specs in your head, basically, at this point.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, you do anything long enough, you know, you learn to... You learn all the tricks. And uh, I still run into very, very difficult situations. Like what? Well, for example, on the one I'm working on right now, the colors, it has a face in it. And, uh, you know, part of the face is is part of other things. Now, let's say, for example, I have to wind up, I'm not going to tell you what this is, but I have to wind up, let's say, with... Um, uh, with the face of a prominent politician. So half of his face is on the left side and half is on the right side. Now I'm filling in the center and the center is like uh, a meadow with green uh, green grass and cows and all of that. How am I going to get this green grass to come together into a flesh-toned face. So that presents a, a, a problem, and I have to think of a tricky way to do it. In this case, the tricky way I have is that I have two floodlights, on, one on each side, and it hits the, the characters in the, in the middle in such a way that the face color is there on the left and, there, and on the right. And in the center is all kinds of different uh, misleading colors. So so it is it is very tricky. It, and it's almost impossible to describe because it's something that happens uh, in a visual context.
1: But that's also exciting that it sounds like it doesn't get old for you. It doesn't feel stale.
0: Oh, no, no. I, uh, I'm excited about it. And uh, I sometimes can't fall asleep because I've got this one... I've got 99 of the problems solved and one is sticking out and it's just not getting it. And I have awakened at two o'clock in the morning with the answer. And, uh, it's, of course, it interrupts my sleep and, and I, I have a case of the big eye for a couple of hours after that. But, uh, but I love it. I love to get, well, we all love solving puzzles. Yeah. I mean, people do crossword puzzles all the okay. time. And and they get very frustrated because there's a word that fits right in there and I, I know that word and I can't find it. Well, I, I, I find solving this puzzle is very stimulating to me.
1: Can we start back a while ago? I wanted to talk about the... Comics Code, if you could explain what that was and if it affected your work at all.
0: The Comics Code came about because a, um, a well-known psychiatrist, Dr. Frederick Wortham, who was uh, by all counts politically, morally, and socially uh, a very decent person, but he, he reached or overreached a bit by deciding uh, there was a wave of juvenile delinquency during the 50s, during the early part of this century or mid-century, and uh, he came up with the notion that violence and gore and stuff like that in comic books was causing juvenile delinquency. He was making, he was making that tie. It sounds like it's
1: similar to the HUAC hearings almost.
0: There was also gratuitous uh, violence in comic books. Oh, sure, the hero vanquished the bad guys, but uh, in particular, uh, Bill Gaines came out with a line of extremely successful uh, horror magazines in which blood and gore were abundant. EC Comics was brought before the Kefauver Committee and uh, Bill Gaines, the publisher, who was also the publisher of Mad, but Mad was a tiny little pebble in his uh, financial stable. Uh, It was all the horror stuff that was selling like crazy, oh, the Vault of Horror and So many things. So he was brought before this congressional committee. He came off very poorly. I know the backup story. Bill was basically a shy guy. He had inherited the comic book business from his father. He had wanted to be a high school science teacher. And that's what he studied for. But he inherited the business when his father died in an accident. And he decided, you know, it was a, a money-making business, so he took it over. It was Max Ginsburg. Uh, no, Max Gaines. He, he, well, originally, it was Ginsburg, but uh, Max Gaines made switched, up.
1: A, I just want to clarify for listeners: he switched his name because it sounded too Jewish to, to Gaines from Ginsburg. Well,
0: a lot of people were were switching their names that were too Jewish because the air was poisoned by the success of hitler hitler took over a very civilized country like germany and uh, where a highly educated population of intellectuals and uh, creators like uh, creative people like beethoven and bach and great artists of, of all sorts and scientists and The feeling really was that, uh, you know, Henry Ford in the United States admired him. And uh, uh, Hitler proposed that the Jewish people were responsible for all the trouble in the world. And amazingly, Henry Ford bought into that.
1: So people were scared and that's why they were assimilating and changing their
0: names. And there was a a growing amount of anti-Semitism everywhere. Uh, including the United States, there were hotels that wouldn't let Jews stay there. There were there was, and uh, there were a lot of advertising agencies that wouldn't hire a Jewish artist. I I remember f- uh, uh, feeling that uh, it wasn't too good to go out with your portfolio and advertise that you're a Jew. Mm-hmm. It's easier if you pretend to be somebody else. The comic book business was started by, uh, uh, not started by, but I would say populated mostly by Jewish creative people who all changed their names. Jack Kirby, one of the greatest talents in the business, was Jacob Katzenberg or something like that. Bob Kane was Bob Cohen or something like that. Uh, Will Elder was Wolf Eisenberg. Others, like Harvey Kurtzman, remained Harvey Kurtzman. But can, we,
1: can we talk about Harvey Kurtzman for a little bit? Sure. When you were working at Humbug or Trump, was that when his assistant was Terry Gilliam and, and then the intern was Art Crum?
0: No, Art Crum wasn't an intern. He was a great admirer of okay. Harvey Kurtzman, but Terry Gilliam was his intern, and so was Gloria Steinem.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. And Michael Arthur who made that beautiful drawing of you was the one who had to- told me about this, that that was going. Was that when Kurtzman was at Trump? He
0: got financing to start an, an, uh, an yet another satire oh. magazine. He had started Mad. He left Mad and then created Trump, which I first went to work on. Trump Was financed by... Hugh
1: Hefner, right? Hugh Hefner. I was going to ask about him, too, because he loved cartoons, is what I was told. He was a
0: cartoonist himself. He wanted to be a cartoonist. He went to work for Esquire magazine, hoping to break in as a cartoonist in Esquire. Uh, So he was some kind of an uh, assistant to the editor of or a cartoon editor or something. I don't have the clear picture of it, but uh, I, and I've seen his drawings. He, Are they good? Yeah, he could have been a, uh, if, he's, if he had stuck with it, He, uh, I'm sure he could be a, a good cartoonist.
1: What was it like working for him? Because I know later he, he um, you know, basically funded Jules Pfeiffer and, and was his patron.
0: He loved cartoonists, but, you know, he had a limited amount of money to spend, and he spent it on playboy I
1: mean, That's fascinating. I don't think most of us would know. I can see that he's incredibly business savvy, but to know that he also had this real love of cartooning is, is sort of delightful I, to find I out. I think
0: his success with Playboy was something that overran him. He, I'm sure, never had even the slightest inkling that it would become such a Empire. hydrogen bomb of a publication, you know. Well, uh, he
1: didn't stop it when it became.
0: (laughs) Oh (laughs) no, no, (laughs) he he He
1: did run with that. He ran with it absolutely,
0: and he he loved the uh, other fantasies that he could live out uh, with the Playboy clubs and uh, you know all kinds of publications.
1: And I wanted to ask, what was it like at Timely? This is pre-Marvel. What was it like working with Stan Lee?
0: My personal relationship with Stan Lee was the best and uh, he was
1: 17 years old at the time Stanley was 17 right
0: I think he was 19, 19. When I he,
1: apologize He's he
0: took over teenager. from um, Simon and Kirby and I came in with my samples I had the nerve to go there
1: to he, s- he took over for Jack Kirby
0: timely comics was basically Joe Simon and Jack Kirby Joe Simon was the writer and Jack Kirby was the artist. And they created Captain America, and um, I'm not really a historian on uh, the other creations, but they certainly brought in uh, Submariner and uh, Human Torch and whatever else. Uh, they, They apparently had a falling out with the publisher, Martin Goodman. And Martin brought in Stan, who was his wife's nephew. Wow. Yeah. And Stan really wanted to be a novelist. He wanted to be a a writer, but he took over and he ran it. I I would just, I look back on it now, um, and we had a a very good relationship because when I came to him, I think he was still uh, insecure. Uh, and he he just threw a script at me and said, if you can do that you can do more and I came back with it and he loved it so he then said alright, you don't need another script, you write it draw it and bring it in I said, don't you want to see it uh, edited ahead of time he said, no, I trust you and that's the relationship we had for the rest of the time that i worked for him which was well he made me an associate editor and i was still writing and drawing but he never edited my work
1: which you enjoyed not not having that type of micromanagement
0: well i what i particularly liked was the trust that he had in me and uh because it's a very, very uh, unusual relationship. How fr- old were you? Well, I was a year older okay. than him. But I, you
1: were very young. It's understandable that you would feel insecure about it.
0: Yeah, well, I was breaking the fourth wall. For example, I, I wrote one. of I created Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal for him. Yes. And I was doing something called Squat Car Squat about two bumbling policemen. And a collector sent me copies A whole book of copies. And I was rereading them the other day and I thought, wow, I was doing this when I was 20 years old, breaking the fourth wall. I mean, I have these two cops and they get into all kinds of trouble chasing crooks. And
1: I mean, it's the basis for every major Hollywood comedy—or not every, but a, certainly a lot of buddy, you know, buddy comedies.
0: <laughs> and at one point, Sar- the sergeant, Sar- Sergeant Rook, says to the other guy, "I'm not going to go out on this call. I'm sick and tired of dealing with crooks who beat us up and throw things at us and put us in danger. I'm, I'm going to stop doing that." And then. The panel folds over, and it's me, caricature of myself. I said, you guys better get back to work right away, or Stan Lee, the editor, is going to come here and throw you out on your ass. You know, words that have effect. And they so they get to work. And I brought the editor in that way, too. He he congratulated me for, for taking care of these two guys. So that's... Amazing for 1941. It's unbelievable. The uh, comic book industry was a very tightly controlled business where the publishers set all the rules, and you could take it or leave it.
1: What what was a living wage back then? You know, sort of. I I know what a living wage for a teacher is. What was sort of a, a good, what what was an ideal good wage? I shouldn't say ideal, but what was a good wage?
0: Well, there were very few people on salary outside of the editorial staff and production people. Uh, most most of the artists and writers were freelance. So it, it was all dependent on rates. That's how I lived for about six or seven years.
1: How did you know how to price
0: your work? You, you didn't price it. They paid, you know, it started out, like $25 a page for art and $10 a page for a script. So if you wrote a six-page script, you made 60 bucks. And it, little by little, there were incremental raises. Uh, it sounds and-
1: like journalism, though, where we used to get like a dollar a word or $2 a word, and then now, of course, you're lucky if you get 10 cents a word on the Internet, but...
0: It's piecework.
1: Yeah, and then when people get really big, they can negotiate from Right,
0: and I think that's probably what happened with Kirby and Simon and Kirby because they had better offers from other publishers because they were so successful. They probably went to Martin Goodman and said, meet those offers. I mean, it goes on in show business. It goes on in Hollywood. I was
1: going to ask, you know, because Arnie Kogan this delightful writer who who loves you, Um, he was saying that it was faster to write the TV parodies and film parodies for Mad, that those came out even faster than the actual magazine came out. And I was curious if if you ever worked in film or TV or wanted to.
0: No. uh, You
1: know, in animation.
0: Sad to say, I I don't have a lot of ambition.
1: I don't think that's sad to say at all. I think it means you were happy.
0: (laughs) Well, I kind of like my little world and uh, if I have if I have enough to you know to satisfy my needs I'm not gonna run around and get agents who can keep me working 36 hours a day you know so
1: what it was pretty good money at that time I know it won't quite even out till <laughs> with inflation well, and everything but
0: I'd say about sixteen eighteen thousand dollars a year wow. but this is Nineteen fifty. Wow! You know, so. Uh,
1: I mean, it's just so exciting as an artist.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, there were people who were supporting families on five thousand dollars a year wow. at that time. So exciting. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was able to buy fancy automobiles and.
1: Where are they now?
0: Yeah, I wish I had. I <laughs> wish I had my hut, my golden Hudson convertible. <gasps> what a dream boat that was. <laughs> When i pull up to a red light, people would lean out of cars on either side of me and say, what is that? Because Hudson was not a popular car. No one, not very many people even knew that Hudson existed.
1: Was that your big vanity, was having these yeah. people cars?
0: Yeah, I wish I had my photographs. My son has all the family photographs, but I have photographs of me sitting in this golden chariot. <laughs> Oh, it, it was a beauty, but anyway, uh, st- because Stanley let me do as much work as I wanted, and uh, I worked and worked and worked and turned out a lot of stuff. Well, you, you know, if you have an assignment to do two comic books a month, and you do both the writing and the art, yes, you make double, the, you know, almost double the money.
1: At Mad Magazine, you were originally hired as a writer and artist.
0: No, was, you were hired
1: as a writer first. As a
0: writer, yeah.
1: And then you got. So, did you get double for writing and art? Yeah. And I was just going to ask you because I know everyone knows you for the folden, but were you as proud of, if not more proud of, the inventions or snappy answers, stupid questions?
0: That's it's it's an interesting question, but but it's a hard one for me to answer because I think of myself always from the beginning till now. I'm a journeyman cartoonist. A cartoonist isn't somebody who just sits and draws funny faces. A cartoonist is someone who tells a story through the medium of cartoons. So you have to have stories. My good luck was to find acceptance for my writing, which created the opportunity for me to sell my drawing. If it weren't for the fact that I found enough work Uh, very early on doing Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal and Super Rabbit, the easy stuff for me, if those things never existed and the only things available were Spider-Man and Superman and the Green Hornet and all of that, I'm sure I would have wound up writing those and learning to draw those also.
1: But you were were able to find a niche truly expressing yourself and your mad genius.
0: Yeah, I... I like the humor part. I find it difficult. We were were touching on, you know, establishment religion earlier on in our conversation. You and I were talking about religion, yeah. Because you do
1: these wonderful cartoons for the Lubavitch community for 20 years.
0: Yeah. The same, what is it, the uh, reluctance to belief, what is that called?
1: Uh, It's called Judaism. Oh, no, sorry. (laughs) It's my
0: version of Judaism. (laughs) Well... uh, (laughs) It's I don't, called
1: having a moral compass.
0: <laughs> I don't have I don't have a particular love or hatred of religion. I just don't find answers in it. I find uh, that it's dogma created by other people, uh, and uh, I can create the same kind of dogma. I don't need somebody else to do it for me. But uh,
1: but yours, just like that last sentence, is are always very misch- mischievous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
1: your dogma is that of the, the mischief.
0: <laughs> my dogma is to put a pin in these other dogma balloons and see what comes out.
1: Well, you're you're doing an incredible job of such beautiful, fun, funny work. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to be someone who gets to read it and enjoy it and and just stare at it sometimes. Um,
0: Maybe maybe the reason I'm into my 90s uh, and still able to do all this stuff is because I think humor is very, very beneficial to longevity.
1: I'm going to take that not just religiously, but, I mean, actually religiously. I'm going to... Try to remember that in my darker moments, <laughs> to remember to keep a sense of humor. And I also know that your other key to longevity is that you have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every morning.
0: Yes. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be a, a, a blast to find out years from now that that is a longevity formula?
1: I love that you have peanut butter and jelly every morning for breakfast. <laughs> every
0: morning. Every morning.
1: Um, I will let you get back to the drawing board, pun intended, um, and... Thank you so much, Al. This was so fun to be able to talk with you twice, the first time we got to talk more about MAD. Um, I am going to just recommend that, um, folks, you can go on the internet and just type in Al Jaffe, and you can find out that he has this phenomenal collection of fold-ins. I have it at home. Also, the book MAD Life, um, which he did all the original illustrations for, which Mary Lou Weissman wrote about him, is just so... Um, inspiring and heartbreaking and it's a must read and then you can also get Tall Tales and you have a zillion other stuff on the on the interwebs. I don't even have to tell anyone to go anywhere except just Google Al Jaffe and you can see your beautiful work. Oh, and the New York Times. They have a great have you seen this thing on the New York Times? They no. show your fold-ins. I'll show you.
0: Oh, I think I saw the fold-ins where you can push a key and it folds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh you you drag it or something yeah. like that.
1: Um, I want to thank Ian Mazoff for editing this together and thank all of you for listening. Please come to our next live show December 5th at Joe's Pub. And I want to thank you, Al Jaffe, for, for being an Employee of the Month twice.
0: You're very welcome, Katie. You're a terrific interviewer and uh, everybody should love you.
1: <laughs> thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that as a business card. <laughs>